0: Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm happy that you joined us in our episode. We're talking about Jesus, revolutionaries, and the fall of Western Civ. Now, that's a very odd title. So let's break that title down so we can begin to get right into our episode here. We're talking, first of all, about Jesus. What would Jesus have to say about revolutions and the fall of Western civilization? Well, we don't have to guess. Jesus took some steps and actions that let us know exactly his thoughts about many things. Jesus loved revolutionaries. Are you kidding me, Pastor Ed? Well, let me explain what I'm talking about. First, he called disciples to himself, and there were the, the 12 that were, we commonly call the 12 disciples, and those are the ones that uh, minus Judas, that became the apostles of Christ after his resurrection and ascension. But you know what? One of those was a man named Simon, the zealot. He was an anti-government freedom fighter. Now, why do I say that? Well, I don't think he was called the Zealot for no reason at all. I think he was called Simon the Zealot because he was zealous for the law. He was zealous for his nation, Israel, and therefore he deeply resented the Roman government's occupation of his beloved Israel. Though Simon the Zealot was an anti-government freedom fighter, but Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. And Simon's heart and his life were changed by Jesus Christ. Jesus did not automatically exclude him because he had revolutionary thinking and tendencies. He didn't endorse it either, but he reached out and saved Simon the Zealot but it also goes in a different direction. There was one of the disciples, his name was Matthew or Levi. Now, just as Simon the Zealot was Jewish, so was Matthew. But Matthew was called by Christ and he was a government official, but most likely a corrupt government official. That is, Even though he was Jewish, he would have been considered a sellout to his own people because he worked for the occupying Roman government, collecting very heavy taxes from the Jewish people. And one of the perks of that job is whatever the tax was, if he could collect more than that, it was his money. So that's why I say that most likely he was a corrupt Government official. That would not be uncommon at all. Now think about that. Jesus Christ purposely, knowingly, intentionally called an anti government freedom fighter to salvation and he called a corrupt government official tax collector or the tax man, like the Beatles called tax collectors, he called Matthew and Simon to faith in him, and their lives were forever changed. Jesus also had the whole issue of lethal force going on in his day, and he did not challenge the government's right to use lethal force, but he also did not advocate that individuals Just run around using that wantonly. He inspired the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 1 through 7, to write these words. So these are the inspired words of Jesus Christ himself. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject to, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, Jesus also dealt with religion in his day. And with religion, he challenged their morality. And let's read in Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So Christ challenged the morality of religion and the religious leaders, particularly of his day. He also has something to say about the politics of his day. In terms of politics, he, con- he confirmed their accountability. That is, he let them know with no mistake that they had been given power from God, as we've already read in Romans 13, and one day they would answer for it. In John 19, verse 11, now this is at the trial of Jesus before Pilate, we read, Jesus answered, "'Thou couldest have no power at all against me, "'except it were given thee from above. "'Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee "'hath the greater sin.'" Jesus let Pilate know in a quick minute that the only reason he was able to pass judgment on Jesus is God had given him that delegated power, And that one day, he would have to account for and answer for his use of that power. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we think about Jesus, revolutionaries, and the fall of Western Sib. Once Simon and Matthew both came to the same Jesus Christ and they placed their faith in him, as the Son of God, crucified, dead, buried, and risen again on the third day, once they met the risen Christ and they were saved, they could love one another as people coming from two opposing backgrounds. Wow! That's revolutionary! You see, in Christ, people who were formerly enemies of one another, can, are, they're made one new man so that there is peace in Christ with one another. The things that needed to change about Simon, Christ changed. That which needed to be changed about Matthew, Christ changed. And once they were born again, they were brothers in Christ. Now that, my friends, is Revolutionary. But, you know, on the way to the Revolution, I hear them chanting, Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. Have you ever heard that chant? Well, it's a, it's a change from the Vietnam War chant, and I think that one was, Hey, hey, ho, ho, LBJ has got to go. And they would chant that endlessly in Washington during their peace protest. But the chant over the last decade or two in America is, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. And what the the revolutionaries are chanting on the college campuses across America is that Western civilization is completely bankrupt, and needs to be bulldozed off the face of the earth. Western civilization is the evil of all mankind, and we've got to get rid of it, and right now is not too soon. That's how they look at it. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. That's their attitude. Well, what is this Western Civ they're talking about? Well, in one sense, back at, the University of California at Berkeley in the 60s and I'm sure since then the whole idea is you cannot laud the values of and the achievements of Western civilization. And I'm going to name some of those in a minute because Western civilization is the scourge of the earth. So they, they did their best to get rid of all courses at the colleges and universities that that taught anything objective about Western civilization, just get rid of it. And of course, anytime you have a vacuum, something has to fill it. So now we have women's studies, feminist studies, transgender studies, all this stuff that's replaced the serious study of Western civilization. Now, let me define Western Civ. Western Civ, well, that's their street name for Western civilization. And what do we mean when we say Western civilization? Well, you know, things like hospitals and schools, including the colleges and universities they are tearing down, things like philosophy, how to think about and analyze and handle life, things like great architecture and art, orderly living, I mean, that's usually a pretty good thing. Representative government, hey, that came right out of Western civilization. Judaism and Christianity are, are the uh, producers of Western civilization. It, it didn't produce those, but um, the thinking and philosophy within Jewish thinking and within Christian thinking shaped Western civilization to a massive degree. Uh, Think Middle Ages and all of that. Science and technology are, are supported by Western civilization. In fact, true science and some of the greatest scientists that have ever lived saw no contradiction between a robust faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the pursuit of what they could discover in science. Now, why are revolutionaries so intent about getting rid of Western civilization? Well, it's kind of simple, because Western civilization is based on a belief that man, with God's help, can make things better. It thinks in terms of linear progress. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, doesn't everybody? No, everybody doesn't. Every culture doesn't. Western civilization understood that God created, man loses existence, but at some point, man will give an account to God and there will be a settling of accounts. In other words, there's a linear progress of history to a judgment day. And trust me when I say that if you believe that there really is a God and you will account for your life to that creator God, it will change how you live because there's a linear progression. You're walking down a road heading to that destination of accountability. But also, Western civilization gives hope. It gives the hope that with God's help and what he shows us to do, we can make for a brighter future. That's Western civilization in a nutshell. Now, some uh, egghead professor somewhere like, Oh, no, 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 son, you got it all wrong. Uh, No, that's actually what it is. You are only complicating it. This is how people have lived in Western society for over 2,000 years. Well over that. Because this, this is how our society that we live in was formed. It's what makes it make sense. And, now, don't, don't discount this. When people say, but Western civilization is responsible for this and for that and every ill under the sun. Well, you know, hey, that's all over the world, man. You can't lay all of that on Western Civ. But anyway, know this. In spite of all the problems and issues that there may be within Western civilization, and we're not saying there's not, there are not any, in spite of that, Western civilization has engineered into it, it has baked into it the ability for peaceful change. And that happens because we know we're accountable, we can change what we think and how we act to treat each other in a better way so that we can give a good account of ourselves when judgment day comes. You see how that works? And that doesn't even mean every person in Western civilization has to be a true, honest-to-goodness believer in Jesus Christ. It's just that they realize they are accountable, and that changes how people live. And again, let me go back to this. Right now, some of you are saying, well, Well, Ed, doesn't everybody around the world think like that? Nope, they don't. And let me explain it. Eastern thought is trapped in cyclical doom. It is a loop of fatalism repeated over and over and over with no hope of escape. Unless you go through something like a million reincarnations, which uh, there's a fat chance of that because it doesn't exist. <laughs> Eastern thought is trapped in not the idea of a linear progress to meet God, but it's trapped in a, a just a fatalistic determinism. Now, we could really make this complicated, but let me explain it this way. In Eastern thought, Man is helpless and hopeless and must accept the isness of what is. Now, some of you are laughing when I said that because you got it. Others of you are saying, What are you talking about? The isness of what is is just what is, man. I mean, if you're born into poverty, hey, that's your lot in life. Don't fight it go with the flow. It's it's that sense of you cannot make a difference, this is your assignment, better luck on the next reincarnation. (laughs) This is what creates caste systems and it's responsible for the grinding poverty that you see in large sections of the world. It is responsible for brutal oppression and corruption. It's third world living at its finest. Let that sink in. Now, that's two world views that are completely incompatible. And yet, we have geniuses storming up and down the streets of major cities in America, taking advantage of every single crisis that comes up, and I think possibly manufacturing some, but nevertheless, every single thing that may go wrong, they never miss an opportunity given to them by any crisis. And their chant is, hey, hey, ho, ho, western Civ has got to go. Now, Can you think of any country in the world that might remotely be representative of Western civilization? Uh, America? You are the grand prize winner today. Yes, sir. So think about what we're saying. The revolutionaries among us today want to get rid of the, the structures and the foundations and the, the guardrails, if you will, that have helped us achieve the greatest level of living in world history. And, I mean, listen, if you live in America, no matter how poor you may think you are compared to the rest of the world, they say you are living like a king or a queen. And if you don't know that, you might need to travel more or read more. So the question should arise in your mind, if you're a, a thoughtful individual, so uh, what are the revolutionaries going to replace Western Civ with? <laughs> well, that would end up being, there's only two options So it's going to end up being the second one there, that fatalism that is present within communism and socialism and the progressive movement. Now, you you can't get rid of Western Civ and create a vacuum without the other rushing to fill the vacuum. So those are your choices. But I don't like those choices, Pastor Ed. Hey, I don't decide what the choices are. I'm just telling you what they are. There's not a third choice on this earth. So you, those of you who want to dump Western civilization, rather than working within it to improve it, those of you who want to bulldoze it off the face of the earth, know this, you, sir or madam, will be responsible for bringing a new dark age upon the earth that will be brutal to the nth degree. Let me tell you a revolutionary story. Eldridge Cleaver, who has passed away in the 90s, but Eldridge Cleaver was a major prominent revolutionary in the 1960s. In fact, he was one of the founders of the Black Panther Party. He was their minister of information. Once, while in prison, he wrote a book entitled Soul on Ice. I believe it was the Atlantic or the New York Times, but one of those liberal progressive publications said that Soul on Ice was one of the ten most important books written in the year it was written. I think it was in 65. And the meaning of that title is, Eldridge Cleaver, representing soul, was on ice. What does that mean? He was in prison. So he wrote this book, and he literally wrote it, from prison. Now, he knew as much as anybody about revolution. And he was not just a, uh, a talker, he was a doer. He knew Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, all those guys. And he wanted to bring it all down. He wanted to burn it down. So well, what did he have to be angry about? Well, the, the, the Watts riots, the, the riots surrounding the assassination of Martin Luther King, all of the unrest on the campuses in the 60s, I mean, he was, he was a part of all of that. And this is what he was angry about. But you know what? Years later, he wrote another book. And I read this book, Soul on Fire. I bet you didn't know that. And the book Soul on Fire, which was ignored by New York Times, The Atlantic, all that, That book explained his disillusionment when he was in exile to escape being uh, extradited or arrested and imprisoned again. He traveled to several places like Algeria, Cuba, North Korea, uh, France, and he was disillusioned by the socialist and communist leaders and systems that he met in exile. Finally, he went to France, and in his own words, he said, with a gun to his head, literally, he was at the point of taking his own life, he had a vision, where in the vision, he saw all of these leaders that he had looked up to, and was disillusioned by, just disappear in a puff of smoke, and he saw the cross of Christ. He saw Christ, essentially. This led to a conversion to Christ and the book Soul on Fire. Now, it is true that after that, he had some troubles in his life, but his thinking and actions became a force for positive change to build a better America, not burn it down. And that's the difference that Jesus Christ makes in someone's life, like Eldridge Cleaver. Now, the current crop of revolutionaries, I don't think they read or think much at all. They only seem to emote and incite other equally uninformed people, and the vicious, destructive cycle repeats. Riot rinse, repeat. Riot, rinse, repeat. Fatalistically, deterministically, over and over in a destructive loop of doom. And nobody's helped. Now, here's a spoiler alert for you. Jesus Christ ultimately will replace Western civilization when he returns to establish his righteous kingdom on planet Earth. Jesus Christ is alive and he is returning to establish his kingdom. So here's my best advice to revolutionaries. If you're saying right now, but I'm a revolutionary and I'm sincere And I want true, real, lasting change. Then what you should do is you should abandon the destructive path you're on and your destructive actions which just tear down and destroy and don't build up anybody or anything and join Jesus. You should give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, become part of His team, which is truly revolutionary, and one day when he returns, this earth will be a restored Garden of Eden, a restored paradise right here on earth. Now, if you're a revolutionary or an anti-revolutionary, but you want to know more how about how to receive Christ, I'm gonna give you a number, I'm gonna say it twice. Call this number during the weekday, Monday through Friday, during business hours in the United States. And someone will help you with your questions or provide you with material to help you come to Christ and grow in your new faith in Jesus Christ. Excuse me there. <laughs> Here's the number. 888-537-537. 8720. One more time, 888-537-8720. Call that number and someone will help you come to a personal faith in Christ. Well, I thank you for listening today. That's all I've got. We live in crazy times, but I'm so glad that you have tuned in and you stayed with me on this 30-minute podcast. I'm asking you to share this podcast on social media. Share it with a revolutionary or somebody who's worried about their country. Share it with people who are trapped by the craziness going on in their cities. They need hope. Share this far and wide. There's no telling who you will help. Tell them they can find it at www.dredhill.podbean.com. That's D R. No period after the D-R. D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L dot podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. They can also find it the hard way on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and many other places like that there. But (laughs) simplest way, just type it in the search bar and they're there. Tell them about it. People need hope and people trapped in destruction need a savior amen thanks for listening and god bless you richly is my prayer